My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at MPC, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. It's found on page 939 in the Pew Bibles on the rack in front of you. As a church, we are in the home stretch of our series on revival. Together, we've been considering what does true gospel renewal look like? And the challenging question that we've posed to you and to us is this, is we don't want just our best spiritual days to be in our past, but what will you do to make sure our best spiritual days are in the future? We don't want to simply entertain ideas about gospel renewal. We want to enter into gospel renewal. Now, it's not formulaic, but we have been looking at some basic theological elements or qualities. And today we are going to look at the next mark of revival, looking at the fruitfulness in ministry. So I'm going to read verses 13 through 16, and we're going to focus our time on verse 16. This is Paul writing, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am, under both, uh, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is the word of the Lord. Let's stand and let's ready our hearts by singing together. Lord, in these moments together, let heaven be in us before we are in heaven. Through the power of your gospel, in Jesus' name, amen. Many of you have probably made New Year's resolutions before, but how many of you have ever resolved to be more immoral, more jealous, more selfish, or to increase your fits of rage, envy, hate, or addictions. Most of us don't get to the end of our life and wish that we had been a worse person. Most of us don't want this epitaph on our tombstone. Hated husband, father, grandfather, brother, son, and friend, or here lies a woman, bitter and friendless. Most of us want to be remembered well, but the reality is most of us don't become the people that we hoped to be. We are a people in need of renewal. We are not all that we want to be or all that we should be. Paul gives us two things in verse 16, I think, that can transform you this morning. He gives us a compelling truth and a transforming power. And this is good news for sleepy Christians, nominal Christians, and those far from God. So let's first consider a compelling truth. A compelling truth will bear fruit. It will make us humble and confident in our witness to the world around us. Paul writes in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
The I is Paul. And he was not ashamed of the gospel. If you read the first 17 verses in chapter 1, it says that he was set apart. And Galatians said he was set apart before birth by the grace of God to preach the gospel. It says that he serves with his spirit. It says that he is eager to preach the gospel. So for Paul to write, I am not ashamed of the gospel, it's sort of an understatement. It's actually an intentional figure of speech. Litotes. It means to say less than you mean in order to emphasize how much you mean. To say less than you mean in order to emphasize how much you mean. It would be like saying, you know, Albert Einstein wasn't such a bad mathematician. It's sort of an understatement. The same way to say, Paul, not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why does Paul use this figure of speech? I think it's because he's writing to Christians at Rome. I think he might have even had his young pastor friend, Timothy, in mind. The Christians in Rome, that Timothy was prone to be ashamed of the gospel. And it makes sense if you think about it, right? What was Rome during this time of the writing of this letter? Rome was this impressive city, sophisticated, educated, with great orators, craftsmen, and philosophers, the seat of government, the height of power. It was impressive. And so there was the temptation for Christians living in a great city to be ashamed of the gospel. But Paul is writing and he says, Though I may be the laughing stock of Rome, he says, I'm coming. Though I may be the laughing stock of Rome, I'm coming. You know, Paul was not ashamed, but he was not always that way. He grew in humility. He grew from being Saul of Tarsus, a self-righteous Pharisee, to the Apostle Paul. And after his conversion, he described himself as the least of the apostles. You know, there's these great men, I'm the least of them. And then he described himself as the least of the saints five years later. And then towards the end of his life, he described himself as the chief of sinners. You see the progression of humility. There was also in Paul a growth in confidence. And once he was converted, there was a steadiness in this confidence of the gospel. Whether he was preaching it in a jail in Philippi or in the great city of Rome. Whether he was talking to a peasant or a king. Whether he was talking to a Greek or a barbarian. From the least to the greatest, Paul was steady in his proclamation of the gospel. He would preach it anywhere, anytime any place. He was steady in his confidence of the gospel. He was not ashamed. Now, let's think about this word gospel for a moment. It's a word, it's a term that we as Christians throw around all the time. But what does it really mean? Gospel literally translated means good herald or good news. It's this idea that back in the day, back in Paul's day that if you achieved a great military victory, you might send out messengers 
or heralds that would go back to the towns, back to the villages, and to tell them that great victory had been won. They couldn't tweet about it. They couldn't Snapchat about it. They couldn't Instagram about it. They couldn't post on Facebook. So they sent out heralds with good news of a great victory. You see, the gospel is good news. It's not just good advice. It is historical. And if you really think about it, Paul calls it a foolish message. And it is. If you really think about the message of the gospel, it's foolish. Think about this. A poor boy born born in a nowhere town growing up in Nazareth, the son of a Jewish carpenter who would be relatively unknown for 30 years of his life and then for three years have an itinerant ministry with no place to lay his head. He'll be betrayed by his friends. He'll be arrested. He'll be mocked. He'll be beaten. He'll be hung on a tree. He'll be cursed by God. He'll be buried in a borrowed tomb. And then he'll be resurrected. That is the gospel that we proclaim. And if you really think about it, it's foolishness. Our Savior is a carpenter of Nazareth. And He saved the world by dying on a cross. You see, the gospel reverses the world's ideas of power and salvation. It tells you that you can't, you can do nothing to save yourself. There's a reason that Paul says, that his gospel message is a stumbling block to the Jews. That is foolishness to the Greeks. But Paul is not ashamed. Paul is not ashamed because it's true. And he was eager to preach the gospel. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, I am what I am. By what? By the grace of God. You see, he had encountered this compelling truth on the road to Damascus. And it had transformed him. It had changed him. He bore fruit. He had a humble and a confident witness. Now, let's think about this for a minute. The application is obvious. Why are we ashamed of the gospel? Now, I don't know why you might be ashamed of the gospel, but I know at times why I am ashamed of the gospel. Because I don't like to be ridiculed. I don't like to be associated with anything that will be ridiculed. Not just the gospel message, but trying to explain what I do for a living is sometimes shameful to me. But you know what? If you have never known this temptation to be ashamed of the gospel, it's probably because you don't know the message of the gospel. Just how foolish it is. Or you may not have shared it very much. Because when you share this foolish gospel to people who have no ears to hear, the obvious response is to ridicule you and to think that this true message is foolish. You know, it's actually one of the ways that we can test, are we truly preaching the gospel? Are you truly hearing the gospel from this pulpit? Or when you visit other churches, is, is it foolish? You know, the world loves a great hero. But Christ, He's more than a great example. The world loves the Sermon on the Mount. 
But Jesus was so much more than a great teacher. The world loves great thinking. But Jesus was so much more than a great philosopher. You see, His teaching and His life and His counsel actually condemns us. And it points us to the cross. And the foolishness of the gospel is that I am so damned and I am so lost that if this son of a carpenter, this son of God had not died on the cross for my sins, I would have no relationship with God and I would not be forgiven of my sins. That's the foolishness of the gospel that we proclaim. Now Christians, how would your witness change if you were not ashamed of the gospel? I would submit to you that if you got this amazing truth, that the gospel of sheer grace, unmerited and undeserved salvation offered to hopeless sinners, it will invariably lead to humility in your life. That I am so sinful that Jesus had to die on the cross for my sins. We will not be disdainful or contemptuous to those we disagree with. Paul says the gospel is foolish. And he is a fool for Christ. Do you hear the humility in his voice? But Christians, another way that this compelling truth would change us, I think that if we got this gospel of sheer grace, grace, undeserved and unmerited salvation offered to hopeless sinners, it will invariably lead to confidence. We will be less concerned about what others think about us when we experience how much God loves us. We will be humble and confident Christians when we encounter the compelling truth of the gospel. It will bear fruit in our lives. Revival, gospel renewal in this city will happen when you and when I become more humble and more confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that will look like? It will look like our churches swelling with attendance, not from transfers, but from conversions. It will look like a conversion of outsiders. We will see souls won. We will have fearless witness Truth will spread. People will be born again through this sharing of the message of the foolishness of the gospel. That is what revival will look like in this town when we become humble and confident witnesses. Paul gives us a compelling truth, but he also gives us a power, a power of God to carry this out. Let's look at the second half of verse 16. And I'm just going to go through it word by word. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God. Let me tell you three knots what this means. The power of God. The first knot. It is not advice from God. The Greek word here is translated or used for the word dynamite or dynamic. It's power. You see, there's no shortage of good advice in this world. Cheer up. Work hard. Be your best. 
All good things, all good advice. But advice has its limits without power. It's like the Bible says, what good is it for a rich man to tell a poor man to be warm? Advice can only do so much. If the gospel were only good advice, we should be ashamed of it. But you see, God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. It's more than good advice. It's the power of God. Now the next knot, it's not the power of men, but the power of God. Can you imagine the original hearers of this letter thinking about the power and the impressiveness of the city of Rome? And Paul says, power does not reside in Rome, but power resides in the gospel preached. You see, it's not the power of us, so renewal is not a work of us. It's a work of God, not man. That God, the Almighty One, the Creator of the universe, the One who spoke the heavens into existence, is the One who is acting in the world, and that is the Gospel. The power of God acting in the world. When it is shared, power happens. Now, I love living in this city, and I think a lot of you love living in this city. And it's hard not to go downtown and to not be impressed by the power that you can see from the monuments, from the seat of government. D.C. is a powerful place. And what Paul is saying is, Rome may appear to be powerful. D.C. may appear to be powerful, but it is nothing compared to the power of the gospel that God provides. In the presence of the gospel, we are in the presence of divine power. It's the power of God. Another not, it's not just a set of beliefs. Listen up, Reformed Presbyterians. The power of God is not simply a set of beliefs. That's what's known as dead orthodoxy. Now, doctrine is good. Doctrine is important. But if it is the only thing that we have, then we are dead. Scott Saul said, like a skeleton, if our doctrine is the only thing visible about our faith, it means that our faith is either malnourished or dead. Like a skeleton, if our doctrine is the only thing visible about our faith, it means that our faith is either malnourished or dead. The gospel is the power of God. But what is it for? It tells us it is the power of God for salvation. Because something can be powerful, but it can be destructive. We have to know its purpose. Think about a missile. A missile is really powerful, but it's destructive. A virus can be very powerful, but it's destructive. What is the purpose of God's power? The purpose of God's power is salvific. To liberate us from sin. To deliver us from judgment. To rescue us from utter hopelessness. That is the point of His power. Salvation. God's power will save us from hell. It will fill us with joy and meaning. It will free us from sorrow and weakness and emptiness. It is the best news you can imagine. And it is the best hope that you can offer the world around you. Now, 
Who is the power of God for salvation offered to? Everyone. You see, some messages are good, but if they're not available to everyone, then they're not very good. You may hear great news about an awesome job opportunity, but if you don't have the experience, if you don't have the talent, if you don't have the qualifications, it's no good news at all because you do not qualify. But friends, there's good news here. You see, Paul says it's the best news because it's offered to who? To everyone. In verse 14, he says, I've preached the gospel to Greeks and barbarians, and now I'm coming to Rome. Do you know who the gospel is for? The gospel is for the rich and the poor. The gospel is for the well and the not well. The gospel is for the old and for the young. The gospel is for murderers and martyrs. The gospel is for Republicans and Democrats. The gospel is for terrorists and patriots. The gospel is for everyone. When you meet a complete stranger, you can know the gospel is for them. Friends, I want you to hear that this morning. Grace is not for someone else. Grace is for you. And I know that some of you in here may be thinking, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know my record. And I think if if the Apostle Paul were here, he might get in your face. And he might get in your face, not about your sin, but about grace. He might get in your face and say, how dare you be so arrogant to think so highly of your sin and so little of your Savior. Friends, grace is for everyone. Don't let it pass you by this morning. Paul goes on to write, It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. No exams to pass. No goods to buy. No qualifications to achieve. How you receive it is to admit that you don't have it, to come before a holy God, to acknowledge your self-righteousness, to repent of your sins, and to place your faith in the one who offers his life to us, to call upon him and to ask him to save you for all of eternity. That is all. You see, the gospel is something that we receive and we rest on alone for eternity. It leads to restfulness. And then it says, it is to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It means from the first to the last, from the first person Adam to the last man who ever lives, the gospel is for everyone. And Paul is relentless in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. He would write that he fought the good fight. He finished the race. His life was poured out like a drink offering. And it was. He received 39 lashes five times. Three times he was beaten by a rod. He was imprisoned, shipwrecked three times, and even stoned. And he kept on going. He was 
relentless in his sacrificial service for the gospel. I love Weta Janice's testimony. And I love her, her phrase that fruitfulness comes from a lifetime of faithfulness. Almost 40 years in this church. You are a part of MPC that's been around for almost 75 years. A lifetime of faithfulness of people who have gone before us. And it's our prayer that there'll be a lifetime of faithfulness in our future. Friends, the gospel is to everyone. It's for everyone. To the Jew and to the Greek. To the first and to the last. And when we get the gospel, that it is the power of God for salvation offered to everyone, we will be relentless and we will be resting. For those of you who are far from God this morning, there is a power. There is a power in the gospel to pardon your sins, to cover all of your shame. Though they may reach up to heaven, there is a foolish gospel that is offered to you. There is a righteousness that can cover you, a stripe that can heal you, a holy obedience to cover your shame, holy words for your unholy words, holy deeds for your unholy deeds. The Holy Father will look at you if you ask and see nothing but His Holy Son. The Lord will blot out your sins. He will cast them like a stone into the sea. They will sink and never be seen again. Now Christians, how would your service change if you were transformed by the power of God? I think like Paul, it would lead to us being relentless. That we will not give up on anyone or any place. And our testimony would be that we did whatever it took to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. MPC, will you be relentless in your service? I think the other thing that it will lead to invariably is this. It will lead to restfulness. When we recognize that it is the power of God, not us, then we can be restful. One pastor summed it up this way. You can do ministry with God's help, so give it all you've got. Be relentless. You can't do ministry without God's help, so be at peace. Restfulness. You see, revival in this city will occur when we become relentless and resting in the power of God. It will renovate culture. It will change society when we move out in sacrificial service to the city around us. When we go into the arts, when we go into the academy, when we go into government, it will result in the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of individuals, communities, cities, and nations. Anytime you look at a great awakening, like in Britain, in the U.S., those great awakenings, those gospel renewals led to renovation in culture. The abolition of slavery or the change in child labor laws were all a direct result of gospel renewal happening in a city. Renewal means to live as on earth as if you were in heaven. Give people a taste of what could be. 
we should see tangible forms of righteousness in our city. We should see a reduction in crime, illiteracy, divorce, poverty, corruption, hunger, and sickness. Because Jesus was here. You see, it's my favorite passage in Ephesians 2.17. It says, Christ, Christ came and preached to you in Asia Minor. Where is Asia Minor? Turkey. Did Jesus ever go to Turkey? No. So how can Paul write that Christ came and preached to you in Turkey? Why? Because his body, the church, came and preached Christ to Turkey. Friends, that's what we're called to do. All of us in this room are in need of renewal. We need to see this compelling truth and this transforming power of God. Will you allow it to be at work in you? Are you willing to be the first person renewed? We don't want our best spiritual days to be behind us. I'm excited about what God is doing at MPC. And I look forward to seeing what He will do in, among, and through you. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be fruitful in ministry. Help us to bear fruit in evangelism and in ethics. Help us to be fearless and tireless. Help us to be a people who have been renewed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to live lives of humility, lives of confidence, relentless lives, and resting lives because we have been changed by the grace of God. Help us to echo Edwin Orr's chorus, send a revival and start the work in me. Amen.